Today's guest will speak about iconography and in some ways compare it to Western religious art. Our guest is from the Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nazion's, Wisconsin. Father Sorsha, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Christ is risen. Patrick, thank you very much for the uh, invitation to be a part of the podcast. Very glad, very happy to, to speak to you this afternoon. So my name is Father Sorsha. I'm a monk of Holy Resurrection Monastery. Um, our monastery is located in St. Nazian's, Wisconsin, and we're an Eastern uh, Rite monastery, a Byzantine monastery. So we're in full union with the, uh, with the Roman Catholic Church, but our liturgy and our life is Eastern. So externally, we have the same spirituality and the same liturgy as the, as the Orthodox churches. And sometimes people find that kind of uh, difficult to comprehend, but that, that's where we are, kind of somewhere uh, in between the East and uh, the West. I came to the monastery five years ago. Uh, I made my, my life profession just last year. And our monastery belongs to the Romanian Catholic Diocese. So there's a difference between a, a rite. So we belong to the Byzantine rite. But the church that we belong to is the Romanian uh, church, the Romanian Greek Catholic Church. And our diocese covers all of North America, both America and Canada. So obviously one of the first questions I get is, how does an Irishman end up in a, uh, an Eastern uh, Catholic monastery? Father, in... please, I have a first question. How did an Irishman, how did an Irishman, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, please. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, how does, how does an Irishman end up in, uh, in a monastery in rural uh, Wisconsin? When I was studying theology back in Ireland, uh, in, in Dublin, I kind of slowly was getting more and more exposure to the Eastern Church and the Eastern spirituality. I don't quite know how to to fully describe what was going on for me but i would just say that that i just slowly started feeling more at home in the in the east just with the with its theology and with its with its spirituality and it just gelled with me and with, with celtic spirituality um, but obviously i grew up in the in the western right i was baptized in the western right and that's where uh, I was nourished and, and formed uh, by my family. So I grew up in Belfast uh, in Ireland. And then for studies, I, I went down to Dublin. Uh, my first exposure, I guess, to, to our church, to the Romanian Greek Catholic Church, was in 2003. Um, time of the Iraq War, I was very active in the Catholic Peace Movement. And the uh, Romanian Greek Catholic Bishop, Bishop John Michael Botin, issued a pastoral letter in, uh, in Pascha at Easter time and talking uh, to his people, to, to the Romanian Greek Catholics uh, of North America. And he condemned the, the Iraq war and prohibited uh, any of his faithful from, from participating in it. So I guess my slowly starting to feel more at home in the, in the life and the spirituality of the Eastern Church um, uh, and my awareness of, of who uh, Bishop Michael uh, Botin was uh, because of his... Then subsequently, I read most of his, his pastoral letters every year. Um, yeah, and one thing led to another. And then 
I, I happened to be in North America and I asked John Michael if I could meet him for, for a cup of coffee. And a cup of coffee resulted without any intention on my part uh, in an invitation to come back Canton and to, to become involved in a, a local initiative amongst uh, some local Catholics in Stark County and establishing a Catholic worker house. And so the cup of coffee uh, turned into to me coming to, to America and to our diocese and then to becoming a monk here uh, within the monastery uh, in, in our diocese. So in a condensed form as possible, that's kind of how I, I ended up here, Patrick. I'm very intrigued by the bishop's stand on the Iraq war, and I'm also intrigued by your route from Belfast to Dublin, to the United States, to Dorothy Day's camp with the Catholic worker. That's quite a mm. route. <laughs> I guess it is. Where were you involved with social justice and with a Catholic worker house here in the States? My awareness of Dorothy Day, I guess, would have slowly um, him come into my field of consciousness and my awareness whenever I entered kind of more deeply um, into into my faith journey when I was uh, about uh, 18. And obviously growing up in the context of 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 war um, within the context of a of a foreign uh, occupying power, uh, being on the streets, issues of of war and peace and and of justice uh, and oppression and an occupation, um, obviously very much a part of a part of my life. So the the spirituality of the, of the Catholic worker always resonated uh, deeply with me. When I was growing up as a, a teenager, I would describe myself as a as an Irish Republican and as a as a socialist. And I guess the more that that I I took my faith more seriously, the more I, I, I journeyed in in the church. And kind of Dorothy Day articulated and and captured best for me what it means to be a Catholic and how to live out our our faith. Um. So I guess it should be no surprise that that I feel and uh, that I felt and feel very much at at home uh, in the Catholic Worker and Peter Morn, who who, who who well Dorothy Day said was actually the founder of the the Catholic Worker. Peter Morn and Dorothy Day founded the Catholic Worker, said that the Celtic monasticism was the was the foundation. So the monastic life, a life of voluntary poverty and of living the evangelical counsels of of, of poverty and and of obedience, Dorothy saw as as very much being. Um, the vocation also of, of the laity uh, and not just of clerics and, and religious. Although both Dorothy and Peter Morn capture more authentically what monastic spirituality is, which is it's not a clerical movement. It's a, it's a charismatic movement uh, within the church. is is primarily non-clerical and is actually a, a lay movement. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I guess growing up where I grew up and, and when I, I, I grew up, uh, the Catholic worker is is kind of very naturally spirituality and a uh, place that, that kind of authentically captures what it means to proclaim, to, uh, proclaim the risen Christ to, to our culture today. I probably have a very narrow view of the Catholic worker. However, I think of it really being simply a Roman Catholic entity. Mm. And I know that you're going to fault me with that concept. So no. please go after me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't fault you for it. 
Dorothy Day uh, and Peter Morn were, were very faithful uh, Roman Catholics um, and live much of their, their life in the, in the Archdiocese of New York. Um, so the theology of the, of the, of the Western churches is, 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 and the language and the terminology is very much at the heart of the, the, the Catholic worker. So you're you're correct in in, in saying that that, that in your, your mind and your experience the Catholic worker is is often more predominantly associated uh, with the Roman Catholic Church. However, anybody who reads uh, anything of Dorothy Day will of of her life will know that she was very deeply devoted to the Eastern saints and to Eastern spirituality and to the Eastern liturgy. So she writes often of her of practicing the Jesus prayer. Um, in in her life and in the houses of hospitality, both in a very contemplative form and in, in prayer and in silence, um, and also in a more active way of 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 praying the Jesus prayer, and praying always just throughout the day, even even doing the the dishes, and doing manual labor uh, around the house. And Dorothy Day was also a Benedictine oblate, and the monastery of which she was a Benedictine. Oblate was, uh, I believe it's called St. Pocopius's Abbey, I think in Illinois. And one of the reasons why she became an oblate of that monastery was because they were by ritual, and that's where some of the, cl- the clergy for the, the Greek Catholic Church in the United States uh, used to train. And so she went to that monastery there in order to immerse herself in the Byzantine liturgy and the, the the liturgical rhythm of the of the Eastern Church. And Dorothy Day had a, a great love of Russian icons, Slavonic uh, spiritual spirituality. But nonetheless, when when we uh, set up the the Alliance Catholic Worker uh, mishmash of of people from from various. Uh, communities, uh, mostly uh, within Stark County in, in northeastern Ohio. Um, it was founded uh, out of a parish centre which used to belong to the, the, the Romanian Greek Catholic Diocese. So that Catholic worker community uh, began life as a, as a, as a Byzantine uh, Catholic worker and that always drew people to, to that Catholic worker community. And I think kind of provided maybe a bit of a niche uh, for some people who are very devoted to the social doctrine of the church and of the works of mercy, but who also have a, a deep uh, liturgical uh, rhythm which, which sustains their, their life and their, and their life of prayer. So uh, I guess in some ways uh, that, that community was a bit of a novelty, uh, I guess, with, with having a, a house of hospitality that was rooted in and, and nourished in the Eastern liturgy and, and with Eastern spirituality. It's a remarkable story. Are there other Catholic worker sites that are that come from the Eastern Rite? Well, I guess it, that kind of poses a much larger question. I mean, what, what's a Catholic worker community <laughs> and what uh, what constitutes it? And Because the, the Catholic worker movement is, a, is an anarchist movement. So I guess in that sense, Anybody who's kind of practicing the, the works of mercy can call themselves a, a Catholic worker house. And so there are several other uh, houses of hospitality in the United States that are, that are, that are Eastern, both Greek Catholic and, and obviously Orthodox um, houses of, of, of hospitality. Um, 
there are very few who who would identify themselves as as part of the of the Catholic worker tradition. Please introduce the subject of iconography. When you enter an uh, uh, an Orthodox church or, or a Greek Catholic church, one of the first things that that will strike you is the the richness and the the beauty of the uh, mosaics and the frescoes and the iconography uh, that adorns uh, the church. Um, it draws people into the the Eastern Church, and I, I guess given a lot of the liturgical reforms. Uh, that took place in the in the West where some of the, the more kind of ornate art and, and architecture of the church uh, was kind of toned down after after the 1960s. Uh, I think people are, find uh, Eastern churches a, a real uh, kind of delight of uh, visual uh, stimulation. So I guess there's several things that, that you could say about iconography. I guess one is uh, it's one of the ways in which uh, the church evangelizes the world and evangelizes the culture. One of Dorothy Day's favorite sayings from her, her favorite author, Dotskievsky, uh, was the beauty uh, will save the world. And so in iconography, we see the, the beauty of, uh, of Christian art, but one that preserves the, the truth and the faith and the tradition of the church. So I guess beauty would be would kind of be the, the first thing that you would say in a discussion on, on iconography today. And Bishop Byron makes a, this point often when he's talking about the transcendental values of truth and of, and of beauty. And he'll say that, you know, people in our own time are very resistant to claims of, of truth or teaching, uh, that is, uh, of, of doctrine. But uh, people are very open to beauty. And so sharing the, the beauty of of our faith uh, through iconography i think is, is one of the greatest gifts that that we can give the the world today when i look at religious icons there's a couple things that immediately come to mind the subjects don't seem to be in uh, scientific form they don't seem to be arms and, and legs and hands there's no proportionality in most of these images and then the second thing there seems to be hardly any depth. I like to do photography. I arrange my picture, my photograph, in such a way that I've got a depth of field. And in, in a lot of Western art, I see that. It seems absent in much of what I see. So the issue of proportionality and then again the depth of field. Can you speak to those two subjects? Sure. Maybe one of the first comments is kind of perhaps maybe what, what distinguishes iconography from art. Uh, and I don't want to draw too deep a, uh, a distinction because at the end of the day, you know, uh, icons are, are paintings. But I'll just give a, a few introductory comments uh, to that because it's one of the most, most common questions. I guess one is to just understand the mystical character of iconography. So we're engaging in something which is an icon, which means that it, that it points to something, right? So here we are, temporal persons existing in time and in space but communing with a reality and with god and with the kingdom of god which is in time and space which which ultimately goes beyond time beyond uh, materiality beyond uh, temporality beyond space uh, into the eternal into the immaterial and in that way it's it, it's kind of a, a meeting place between between different dimensions if you like a, a portal 
in which the divine comes down um, in his transcendence and touches us um, in time uh, and in space in, in a very intimate manner. So obviously in an icon there's much, much, much more going on than there, than there is in a painting or, or a photograph which is uh, kind of studying a, a, a subject or trying to capture something as it exists in the world, uh, which brings in those different dimension of, of depth of field. And so there is a depth of field. Uh, there is proportionality in it, um, but it uh, transcends our own. This sense of proportionality that is unique to icons stands in stark contrast to the Western art that I'm used to. Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and again, there's distinctions uh, to be made, uh, but there's also similarities. So, yes, there's, a, there's obviously, a, a, as you know, your question and your comment have, have beautifully illustrated, uh, there's a distinction uh, and a very obvious uh, distinctiveness between iconography and Western art. But at the same time, the birth of the Renaissance and the renewal of, of Western art. Some art historians would would say come, comes about uh, as a result of the influence of, of Byzantine iconography. So when you had the Crusades in the 12th, 13th centuries, 14th centuries, and you had Western Crusaders, and those of uh, your listeners, Patrick, who, who study history will be aware that the uh, the Latin crusaders uh, sacked in a very vicious manner uh, the city of uh, Constantinople and, and plundered its churches and, and plundered its, its beauty and its wealth. But one of the things that happened as a result of that was the crusaders brought back a lot of the uh, of iconography and of Eastern uh, art uh, into, into Italy and injected Western art with, uh, with that beauty and with that influence. And like I say, some some art historians would point to that as as the basis of the the whole development. Are iconographers still following the old style? Uh, You'll find some purists um, correcting you if you talk about uh, icons as painting or painting and icons. Because as they point out, um, the icon is the gospel in visual form. So if uh, we can talk about the divine and write about the divine in words and with ink, then we can also do it uh, in color. So that's why people talk about writing icons, uh, because it's a, a visual depiction of the word, of the word of God, of the word made flesh, uh, and of the gospel, and, and of the teaching of Christ um, being taught um, in, in color and, and through art. I, I tend to use that language um, of of writing icons, just because in North America we live in a it's predominant predominantly formed um, with with what little kind of theological basis there is um, in North America in in a kind of a, in a Protestant worldview, and so to counteract accusations from uh, iconoclasts of uh, of idolatry, I, I think it's uh, important to to make the point that. That, that icons are, are written. But I don't think people should, should get too hung up on, on, on that terminology. But things do change, um, and the, the methodology is one. So originally, as I mentioned, iconographers uh, painted icons or, or wrote icons uh, with wax. They would have ground the, the pigments 
with with hot wax which obviously meant they had to work very very quickly i'm one of those uh, most famous icons of, of of christ and you can see you know it's uh it's a pantocrator from uh, uh from mount sinai and uh what one shows uh, you know christ as one side of the face kind of presents uh, christ as the as the just judge and the other as the as the the merciful, uh, tender, and, and, and compassionate uh, God, so that icon would have been uh, written in the in the fifth, fourth, fifth century in uh, with hot without wax. You then have the the development in the fifth, sixth centuries of a vague uh, tempera, which is ready um, where the um, the a mixture of egg yolk uh, and vinegar and water forms the the bases that that kind of glues with the with the pigments with the with the colors and so there's a whole theology to that now there's been more recent developments uh, where iconographers have started writing in uh, acrylic for various factors expediency and cost uh, and time but there's there's been a, a reaction uh, against that and and, uh, and lots of people the purists only read an icon or paint an icon with with egg tempera. Um, I, I've written with both. Uh, I, I find the process of of writing an icon an egg tempera um, causes me to pause and move much more uh, patiently uh, and much more diligently um, when when writing an icon, and so I, I find it uh, a much more fruitful, uh, prayerful. Uh, experience um, whereas when I have written an icon uh, with with acrylic uh, it's a bit too instant <laughs> um, uh, I kind of feel that maybe I'm uh, selling out to the to the culture and uh, so the, so there, the, I don't know if that answers your question Patrick but yes there have been there have been developments uh, not significantly in the in the theology you know because that was defined um, at the the Seventh Ecumenical Council, but with regard to methodology and, and discussions around iconography, yes, there there have been developments. It was my great pleasure to introduce iconography, and it was my great surprise that we could discuss the Catholic Worker Movement also. In the show notes, you will find additional information on both of these men.